Well, I am going to start off this morning with a confession. That's right. Good for the soul, John says. I have uh, an Apple Watch. It's not the confession. That's, con- that's context. I have an Apple Watch. Um, and if you have an Apple Watch, you will know that Apple Watches track your activity levels with three different rings, right? There's a ring for standing up a little bit each hour. Uh, There's a ring that tracks how many calories you burn. And there is a ring that tracks the number of minutes that you spend exercising. And every day that you uh, complete your goals in each of those areas, you close your rings. And at the beginning of this year, the goal I set for 2023 was to close my rings every day. Now, has anyone here, okay, like we're in October, has anyone here been able to keep up with your New Year's resolutions for 2023? Anyone? <laughs> hey, we got one person. Amazing. Well, I have. I have. And let me tell you how. I found a loophole. I found a loophole. I have an app on my watch that I use to track my workouts. And one day, I realized that even if I'm sitting on my couch watching Netflix, if I run that app, it will track my Netflix watching as a workout. And so on those days when I go home and I'm tired and it's late and I didn't get a walk-in or a workout in, I run the app. It's a different kind of running. And before I know it, the rings are closed. And I can't explain why, but somehow, even though I know I faked it, it still just feels really good to see, to see those rings closed, to scroll through the year and see all of those rings closed for every day. Does anyone here like shortcuts? I mean, maybe you've never taken it to that level in terms of self-deception. But as human beings, we love shortcuts, right? We want to be healthy, but we don't love doing the hard work of exercising and eating well. We want financial stability, but we don't want to curb our spending. We want good grades, but we don't like studying. We're always looking for a shortcut. We're always looking for the path of least resistance. And in our fast-paced consumeristic culture, we're always trying to find a way to get the maximum results with minimum effort. Right, to get the best bang for our buck, to get as much as we can without having to give up any more time or energy or resources than is absolutely necessary. And that's not always a bad thing. I mean, who amongst us doesn't love a good deal, right? Or like a time-saving life hack. The problem is that it's easy for this way of thinking and living to trickle into our relationships. And shortcuts just don't work when it comes to relationships. Relationships take time and energy and commitment. And in our hurried culture, in our consumeristic culture, in our digital culture, 
We so often try to squeeze our relationships into the cracks of our overpacked schedules with things like text messages and Instagram likes. Right? We walk around with little gadgets in our pockets that can get us in touch with people across the world without needing to even get onto a plane. And that can get us in touch with people in our very own homes <laughs> without needing to walk up the stairs. Through social media, we reconnect with old friends from high school and we stay in touch with people from church, uh, from our work. Most of us have hundreds of digital connections with people that we've kind of crossed paths with along the way and we keep up with what's going on in their lives as they post pictures of their family and what they ate for dinner. All the things, right? We are living in a world where we are more connected than we have ever been before. And yet research shows that we're also living in a world where we are lonelier than we've ever been. In May of this year, the Surgeon General of the United States, Dr. Vivek Murthy, released a report declaring loneliness as a public health crisis. Loneliness level levels in the United States have doubled since the 1980s. And researchers have predicted that loneliness will reach epidemic proportions by 2030 unless some sort of action is taken. And maybe it's no surprise that loneliness impacts our mental health, right? That it's associated with depression and anxiety but studies have now shown that it also has a profound impact on our physical health. Research has found that the impact of social disconnection is as detrimental to our health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And it increases the risk of having heart disease or a stroke by around 30%. Mother Teresa once referred to loneliness as the leprosy of the modern world. The leprosy of the modern world. As human beings, we are designed for community. And the digital shortcuts that we take in our relationships sometimes kind of give us the illusion of connection, but the truth is that they just don't cut it. We were made for something more. As Jesus was preparing his disciples for his crucifixion, he gathered them together and he left them with some final words. He left them with some words that he wanted to stick with them as they continued on without him there. And one of the things he said to them was this. He said, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And then listen to this. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And now this is a familiar passage, and so it's easy to rush past it. But take a minute to really let Jesus' words here sink in. Notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say your perfect theology will prove to the world that you're my disciples. He doesn't say your moral behavior will, show up, will prove to the world 
that you are my disciples. He doesn't say that your bumper stickers will prove to the world that you're my disciples, right? And theology is important. Having good morals, it's very important. Personally, I call bumper stickers kind of optional, right? <laughs> but according to Jesus, the most important thing is love. The most noticeable characteristic of his followers, the mark that should define them, the thing that should stand out as radical and countercultural about them, the first thing that should come to mind for people when they think about Jesus' followers is their love. And now often when we think about this passage, we lament about all of the conflict and the division that exists within Christianity in our world today, and we should lament about that. It's true that there's way too much of that in our world. But I think that there's another way that we can miss the mark on this that's far more subtle. Because Jesus isn't just calling us to be a conflict-free. He isn't just calling us to be polite with each other. He's calling us to a whole new way of doing life together. He's calling us to be a community that stands out for our commitment to one another, for our care for one another, for our willingness to sacrifice for one another, for our presence with one another. But we're so used to our, our culture's shortcuts when it comes to our relationships, and we're so influenced by our individualistic ways of thinking and our consumeristic ways of living, and we pack our schedules so tightly as we try to keep up with the pace of the world that it can be difficult to imagine doing any kind of different uh, way of living in community with each other. And so even though we talk a lot about commu uh, community in the church, even though community is something that we really probably would say that we value a lot, even though we know that community is something that God calls us to, our experience of community often falls short of the picture that both scripture and small group promotional videos <laughs> paint for us of what it should look like. Tim Mackey is a biblical scholar, and he's the brains behind the Bible Project, if you're familiar with those videos. Um, and he described the difference between how our culture does community and the biblical depiction of community using marbles and grapes. Think for a minute about a bag of marbles. You can have a bag, uh, a collection of marbles that you kind of gather together in a bag, and then you can dump the marbles out on the floor and they'll kind of scatter, right, and go their own way. And then you can gather them back together again and they'll be in the same space, but they're not really connected. Right? When you have a, what you have is a collection of distinct little objects that kind of come and go and bump into each other, but ultimately, each one of them is independent. And this is how we tend to live life and do community in our worlds. We, we see ourselves as individuals, right? And maybe we gather with other individuals at times. Maybe we bump into each other here and there. But ultimately, we exist on our own. There's no real sense of interconnectedness. 
On the other hand, if you think about a cluster of grapes, it's a very different story. Each grape is unique, right? It's its own thing, but it's connected to a vine. And the vine that sustains life for each one of the grapes, it kind of holds them all together. And if one of the grapes starts to rot, it, re- it impacts the rest of the grapes, right? If the whole plant is healthy, then all of the grapes can grow and thrive. There's this sense of interconnectedness that comes from being attached to the same vine. And in John 15, Jesus says that he is the vine and that we are the branches. Our lives are knit together. This is a whole different way of understanding ourselves and our communities. This morning, we are in week two of our two-week series called Going Deeper. And this theme of going deeper is something that came up in our leadership team as we were reflecting on what we sense God calling us to as a church community in this season. Over the last couple of years, we've really focused on reconnecting and re-engaging and kind of rebuilding some of our structures and our ministries as we've emerged from the pandemic and as we've made our way through a pastoral transition. And God has been so faithful to us and so present with us in that season. And now we've come to the other side of a lot of that. And our sense is that in this season, God is inviting us to go deeper to go deeper in our relationship with him, both personally and as a community, and to go deeper in our relationships with one another. And so last week we talked about going deeper in our relationship with God, and this morning we're gonna be focusing on going deeper in our relationships with one another so that we can really live into the call of Jesus to be a community that's known not just for our politeness, not just for our lack of conflict, but for our love. So why is community such a big deal for us as followers of Jesus? Where in scripture do we see God calling us to live in community? Well, when we read scripture, it's important to remember that we read it through a Western lens. And when we come to scripture with a Western lens, a Western way of thinking, it's easy to miss how central this call to community is in the gospel, right? We tend to focus a lot on our personal relationship with Jesus. We emphasize the importance of making a personal decision to follow him. We tend to read the commandments of scripture as though they're written to us as individuals. And it's true that there is like a really important personal aspect to our relationship with God. Like he knows us, he knows our name, he loves us, he's with us, it's all really important. And at the very same time, there's no concept in scripture of a life of faith being lived in isolation. It doesn't exist. Throughout the entire Bible, we see that God made human beings for relationships. And so the call to community is really written into every page of scripture, starting with creation. In the book of Genesis, 
uh, we read that when God made human beings, he made us in his image. And one of the really intriguing things about the creation story is that when God uh, makes human beings, he speaks in the plural to describe himself. Genesis 1 verse 26 says, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. As Christians, we believe that God is in and of himself a community. That throughout all of time, God has existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That God is inherently relational. That he is and has always been love. And so when God made human beings in his image, he made us relational. Right? From the beginning, we too were made for love. And then if we fast forward to the New Testament, when Jesus sets out in his public ministry, one of the first things he does is call together a community. He walks by a couple of fishermen, James and Andrew, and he says, follow me. That's, that should be Peter. Peter and Andrew. And he says, follow me. And they drop their nets and they follow him. Right? And then he sees a couple of guys out in the boat with their dad mending their fishing nets, James and John and he invites them to follow him. And they leave their father, and they follow Jesus. And then he sees a man named Matthew sitting in a tax collector's booth, and he says, follow me. And Matthew gets up, and he follows Jesus. From the beginning of Jesus' ministry, a decision to follow him went hand in hand with a decision to join a community, right? Jesus didn't give these guys resource packs with Bibles and little journals and a pen and send them off on their own to go and be with God alone, right? Following Jesus meant doing life together, it meant doing life in community. And then in the book of Acts, we see that the early church saw community as a vital part of what it meant to continue the work of Jesus in the world. Acts 2 verse 42 says, all of the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. The early church devoted themselves, they devoted themselves, they took this seriously, to engaging in practices and rhythms that anchored them in community and formed them in the ways of Jesus. And the passage goes on to describe members of this community like selling their belongings to make sure that everyone's needs were taken care of and holding everything in common. And then throughout the rest of the New Testament, we have letter after letter calling communities of believers into unity and love as they find their identity in Christ. From Genesis to Revelation, scripture testifies to a relational God who designed us for relationship. In their book, The Relational Soul, Richard Plass and James Cofield say, at the core of our being is this truth. We are designed for and defined by our relationships. 
We were born with a relentless longing to participate in the lives of others. Fundamentally, we are relational souls. We cannot not be relational. We cannot exist well without connection and communion with one another. God made us for community. We need each other to experience the wholeness and the fullness of life that Jesus invites us into. Now, before we go any further, I just want to give two quick disclaimers, right? The first one is this. Introverts, I see you, okay? This need for community is even true of introverts, right? And if you're an introvert, you know this, right? Some of us get our energy from being around others, and some of us refuel our tank as we spend time alone. And so the way that we go about engaging in community will depend on how we're wired, right? Some of us need more social time. Some of us need less social time. Some of us do better in small groups. Some of us do better in big groups. And that's okay. It's good to honor who we are and how God made us. But regardless of how introverted or how extroverted we are, we all need connection. And our community is better off when we make space for each other and when we learn from each other with all of our differences and our quirks. And the second disclaimer is this, and this will not come as a surprise to any of you. No community is perfect. No community is perfect. It's really easy to get disillusioned with the church because we get hurt in community, because we see the ways that people fall short in community. We get disappointed in our communities. And so it can be tempting at times to want to give up on it all together. And there are times where we need to put up boundaries and there are times where we need to step away from unhealthy communities that are causing harm. But the truth is that all communities, all churches are made up of broken and imperfect people. And so it's going to be messy, right? It's inevitable. And yet we're called to stick it out together. As a church, we gather together as a group of broken people who are covered in grace and who are being transformed into something more beautiful as we follow Jesus together. So what does it look like to go deeper in our relationships with one another? What does it look like to let Jesus shape the way that we engage in community rather than kind of being influenced by the values of the culture that we're living in? Well, it starts with changing the way that we think about church. The church isn't a building. It's not a service that we show up to once a week or once a month. (laughs) The church is a community, right? We are the church. And before we close this morning, we're going to talk about three different characteristics of the church that shape the way that we engage with each other and invite us to really go deeper in our relationships with one another. The first one's this. The church is a community with a deeper sense of belonging. As human beings, one of our most basic needs is to belong. We all have this need to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. 
And in our world, we see this kind of play out as people associate with each other around shared interests and hobbies and favorite hockey teams and their political affiliation. But when Jesus formed his group of disciples, there was something remarkable about the people that he gathered together. And usually when we think about the disciples, the fishermen are the first guys that kind of come to mind. Right? But not all of the disciples were fishermen. The, the uh, Gospel of Matthew gives us a list of Jesus' disciples in chapter 10, verses 2 to 4. So I'm going to read through this list and see if anything stands out to you. It says, here are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, also called Peter. Then Andrew, Peter's brother. James, son of Zebedee. John, James's brother. Philip, Bartholomew. Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus. Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him, betrayed him. And so Matthew gives us some extra details in there, right, about people's names and their relationships. But there are only two people in that list whose names come along with social kind of markers, with social identifiers. We're told that Matthew is a tax collector. And tax collectors were some of the most despised people in this culture. Tax collectors were considered traitors by the Jewish people because they collected taxes for Rome, right? They worked for the oppressors and they would often line their pockets by demanding more money than was actually being required by Rome and keeping the difference for themselves. And so tax collectors were considered sellouts to the oppressors, to the Romans. And then we hear in this list about Simon, the zealot. And we don't get any more details about Simon in the Gospels. We don't really know much about him. All we really know is that he was a zealot, which meant that he was part of a Jewish sect that was an aggressive political movement known for their violence towards the Romans and towards Jewish people who were kind of seen as being in cooperation with the Romans. So, with that in mind, can you imagine having Matthew and Simon in the same room? Can you imagine how awkward it would have been when they were like in a sharing circle, introducing themselves, and that little tidbit of information came up? Can you imagine how they felt when they realized that if they were going to follow Jesus, they were going to have to do it in the company of somebody that they would usually consider an enemy? Jesus called people from across the political spectrum, people who couldn't have possibly been any different in the eyes of the world, and he invited them to be his disciples. From the very beginning, Jesus invited people to belong in his community based on nothing other than their allegiance to him and their commitment to learning to walk in his ways. Everything else that had once defined them and divided them no longer held any weight. They belonged to each other because they belonged to Jesus. And we see this continue to play out throughout the rest of the New Testament. As Jews and Gentiles learn to do life together, as they learn to make space for one another at the table, as they learn to belong to one another despite their differences because they belonged 
to Jesus. And what held them together was bigger than anything that could have possibly torn them apart. And so regardless of who you are, regardless of where you come from, regardless of what labels our society has given you, the church is a community where you are invited to belong, where you're invited to bring your whole self to engage fully. And the church is a community where we're learning to live in humility towards one another and to love across our differences as we find unity with one another in our shared commitment to Christ. And secondly, the, the church is a community with a deeper sense of authenticity. Does anyone here ever like text themselves? I'm constantly texting myself and sending myself emails uh, with little reminders to try to keep my life straight. I don't know if any of you do that. Um, but there's something that's been, that's been happening to me lately that's been driving me absolutely bananas. I'll be driving and I'll have a thought that I really don't want to forget. And so I will ask Siri, so politely, to send a message to Tamil Richardson. Siri, send a message to Tamil Richardson. And she always comes back at me with the same thing. She says, do you mean Tamil Richardson or Tamil Richardson? so frustrating. I mean, my name's Tamil. First of all, there's literally only one of me. <laughs> but here's the thing. Obviously, I've set up like two contacts and I'll have to go back and fix it later. <laughs> but here's the thing. To some degree, we all have different versions of ourselves that kind of come out depending on who we are with. We all have masks that we wear with others to try to cover up the parts of our lives that bring us shame. We're all really good and experienced at image management. But the church is a community where we are called to be real, where we're called to be authentic. The church is a community where we shouldn't need to wear masks and where we should be so filled with grace towards one another that other pe people feel free to take off their masks as well. Because as we gather here together, one of the things that we are acknowledging is that we're all broken, that we all have sin and shame in our lives. And each one of us is here not because we've earned it or because we deserve it, but by the grace of God alone. We all want to be fully known and fully loved. And the good news is that we are. We are. And we have a God who knows everything about us and who accepts us and meets us right where we are and who loves us perfectly and who transforms us from the inside out. And we're called to extend that same love and safety to one another. We're called to share our lives with each other honestly and openly. We're called to walk alongside each other through our successes and our failures. We're called to help each other up when we fall and to keep pointing each other back to Jesus. And going deeper in our relationships with one another means being authentic and accepting others as they are, as we all anchor our lives in the grace of God. And lastly, the church is a community of transformation. 
It's really only within a community of faith that we can experience the life transformation that Jesus calls us to. Eugene Peterson says it this way, there can be no maturity in the spiritual life, no obedience in following Jesus, no wholeness in the Christian life apart from immersion in and the embrace of community. I am not myself by myself. Community is the crucible in which we are transformed into the image of Christ. One of the things that community does is it pulls things to the surface in us. It exposes dark areas of our lives that need to be dragged into the light. It's easy to feel like we're patient and loving when we're just staying home alone, right? Or when we're hanging out with people that we just kind of naturally click with. But community puts us in proximity with people who are different from us. It draws out our fears and our insecurities. It exposes our selfishness and our pride. And it gives us the opportunity to bring those things before God so that he can heal us and change us. In community, we're brought face-to-face with people who have had different experiences than we've had, with people who can teach us what faithfulness looks like in different seasons of life and through different challenges and trials. And it's really only in community that we're able to put the teachings of scripture into practice. Because God is love and he calls us to be people who are transformed by his spirit to reflect his love and learning to grow in love is just one of those things that's really hard to do on our own. Right, it's something that can only take place in community. There are 59 one another commandments in the New Testament. There's 59 commandments that call us into a particular way of interacting with one another within our communities. Scripture calls us to be at peace with one another, to be devoted to one another in love, to honor one another, to live in harmony with one another, to accept one another as Christ accepted us to instruct one another, to serve one another, to carry one another's burdens, to be patient with one another, to be kind and compassionate to one another, to forgive one another, to encourage one another, to pray for one another, and on and on we could go. Imagine that being lived out in a community. Be beautiful. Be beautiful. God's spirit is on the move when we one another with one another and when he he transforms us within that context into people who reflect his kingdom of love. A church is called to be a community where we experience a deeper sense of belonging, a deeper sense of authenticity, and where we are transformed by God's spirit as we learn from one another. But here is the thing. Community isn't something that we can manufacture. There's no program that we can run. There's no button that we can press. There's no app that we can run on in the background of our lives that will make community happen for us. It takes each one of us leaning in and committing to this as we follow Jesus together. So how is God inviting you to go deeper in your relationships 
with others in this season. Maybe for you that means joining a small group or an around the table group. Around the table is gonna be launching the first week of November. We're gonna have different groups gathering in different people's homes at different times on Communion Sunday, just sharing food and connecting with each other. And so that's a great way to get engaged. Uh, you can get all of the details about that online and sign up if you'd like. Maybe for you it just means sending a text message and setting up a coffee with somebody who you've been meaning to connect with but just haven't found the time to do that. Maybe it means reaching out and being vulnerable, asking for prayer from somebody. Or maybe it means encouraging someone that you know has been going through a hard time. How is God inviting you to go deeper with others in your relationships in this season? We were made for community. And when we live into Jesus' call to be people who are known for our love, the church will be a bright light, a beacon of hope in our world that's so full of loneliness and isolation. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up to the front and let's pray together and then we will take just a few moments to reflect about what this might look like in our own lives. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love. And God, we thank you for just the beautiful invitation to be part of a community. God, as messy as it is and as hard as it is, we thank you for the gift of each other. God, and we thank you that when your spirit is here, God, when we're looking to you, that you can do amazing things, God, that you, can, you change us, you transform us within this context. God, I pray that we would be a community that lives this out well, that really leans in, learns to love each other, and care for each other, and support each other as we keep our eyes on you. Amen. Amen. So before we go back into worship, I'm just going to invite you to take a few moments to just reflect on what this might look like in your own life. And so first, I'm going to start by just take it, inviting you to take a deep breath and to center yourself in God's presence. Just take a minute to reflect on how God has worked in your life through your relationships with others. And just thank God for that. Thank God for the ways that you've experienced community, for the ways that you've experienced God's love, his support, his care through others. When have you experienced meaningful community in your life? And now, how is God calling you to go deeper in your relationships with others in this season? Is there a step that he's inviting you to take when you leave here this morning? Just take a moment to open yourself up and to ask God uh, to show you what your next step is. May we be people who are known for our love as we center our lives together on Christ.